Welcome to Breakpoint Podcast, breaking down the world of tennis with your hosts, Val Fabo and Joel Frucci. The end of the year is nigh and some of the biggest tournaments in the world are up for grabs. The WTA Finals has kicked off this week, the Paris Masters as well, and also We've got the ATP Finals coming up in just under a fort, uh, fortnight's time, especially with the uh, with the next gen finals. This is going to be a bumper end to season 2022. Um, massive crowns up for grabs. And joining me, Val Febo, on Breakpoint Podcast to talk about it as per usual is the one and only Joel Frucci. Joel, how are you? Going well, Val. Good to see you, mate. It's been a it's been a while. What have you been up to? Uh, not much. It's been a lot of work, travel, traveling up to the Gold Coast for a couple of weeks, and um, yeah, there's been heaps going on. But it has been, um, yeah, it's been it's been very busy. I think you've been pretty busy yourself as well with work and everything. But yep. we've managed to find time amongst our busy schedules to get another show out there and um, talk some more tennis. And um, yeah, it's been a bizarre few months. We've seen players kick on that we thought would kick on earlier. Um, we've seen the rise and rise of some and. Um, yeah, we've we've seen some spellbinding matches, I guess. Yeah, we have, um, and uh, it's it's making for an interesting uh, end of season, both uh, well, on both sides, um, particularly. And we'll, we might as well start with WTA. Um, if you look at the rankings as well, we've uh, off air just spent a few minutes looking at the rankings, and um, yeah, there's uh, there's been a lot of change um, in the in the women's game and um, yeah, some, uh, some flyers who not necessarily involved in the year end finals, but um, yeah, they've really shot up the rankings. Like you look at someone like Beatrice had admire at world number 15, a yeah. fantastic doubles player, but uh, someone uh, that I never thought would necessarily reach those highs um, in singles. And um, on the WTA finals themselves, if you look at the first sort of crop of matches, um, all the sort of the lower ranked seeds, except I think, Igish Fiontech have won their opening matches. So uh, it's been quite a start to the tournament. Yeah, it certainly has. We've had Arena Sabalenka take down Anjabur 7-5 in the third in um in the first match, and then Maria Sakari taking down Jessica Pagula 7-6, 7-6 in the opening match in Fort Worth for uh for their group. And then the second group, um Caroline Garcia over Coco Golf 6-4, 6-3. She's one of my smokies to win it is Caroline Garcia because of the way she's been playing the last yeah. few months. She's been in ominous form. I'm surprised she actually didn't go on and win the US Open. Looked like it would probably happen at some stage. And um, Igis Fiontek, as you said, Joel, over Dara Kazakina, 6-2, 6-3. So the group standings as we uh, as we speak, um, we've got... So the top group, Igis Fiontek and uh, Caroline Garcia, um, the top two, and then Maria Sakari and... Uh, Arena Sabalenka in uh, group Nancy Ritchie. Uh, they are the top two there. But the next crop of matches to come, so tonight or tomorrow morning our time, Anjabur versus Jessica Pagula, the two losers. Um, and then you've got Maria Sakari and Arena Sabalenka, the two winners. And then Friday morning, we will see Caroline Garcia take on Igor Sviontek and Coco Golf take on Daria Kasakina. So we've got the two winners from both groups and the two losers from both groups facing off against each other. Um, over the next two days. So we're set at least the, the tournament will go to the final day of the group stage for a lot of these players, and it'll be really interesting to see who can get through. But a really interesting start. The race for the tournament was... Um, it was it was really interesting, I thought, in terms of how it all played out because Fiontech qualified so early, and there were some that 
we didn't think would probably make it at the start of the year. And I think if you look at someone like a Casakina who'd had so many injuries, yeah. Caroline Garcia, she's been in the top 10 before, but I don't think any of us really expected her to do what she's done. Um, and for Jessica Pagula to finish third in the race, I thought that was so, so, so impressive. Yeah, and it's the beauty of the WTA. We, we keep saying it. Um, and, yeah, I guess on someone like uh, Jessie Pagulaval, we, we watch her play or when we do watch her play, she's got all the qualities really to find herself in a position like this, such a powerful hitter. So it's mm-hmm. kind of no – it's no surprise um, in, in that sense. And um, you mentioned Caroline Garcia as well. I think she's a bit of a favourite of ours just because of the way that she carries herself. Yeah. And um, I, I think, like, she's obviously had such a great year and the fact that she's won her opening match as well um, at the year-end finals – clearly lends itself really well to her making it through to the semifinals. Um, you know, I'm a big believer that, um, or big believer in the idea of once you've won your first match, you're essentially, you've got one foot already in, in the next phase really. So um, I think it'd be great if she can make it through. Um, and yeah, I think it's interesting that, um, yeah, she's, she's probably kind of in a, in a group where I'd say, a lot of those women are kind of similar in the sense that they have a good variety to their game where, um, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily think there's probably one thing that kind of leaps off the page in terms of, um, you know, a shot or the serve or whatever. They're all just really nicely kind of balanced players. Whereas um, the other group, Nancy Ritchie, it's, it's funny, you look at it and they're really big hitters of the ball. Like they are, Sacre, yeah. Arena Samalenka, Onzebor. And Jesse Pagula, I just think it's really fascinating how that's uh, how that's panned out. But um, yeah, if you do look at that group, I mean, the fact that Arena Savalenka has won her first match, um, I, I think that that uh, is going to work really well for her because um, you know I look at the groups and she's a name that really stands out for me. Like now that she's won that first match, I, I think she can really do some damage. Well, yeah, and that's the thing with her confidence. Confidence is a massive one, and. Um, we, we've seen all year with her, her serve has just eluded her at times and it dates all the way back to Adelaide and and some of some of the bizarre scenes that we saw coming out of Memorial Drive um, with her underarm serve. She just looked gone. Yeah. And, and the fact that she did so well at the Australian Open was was surprising in itself. But I think if you look at, um, you look at the draw, really even the one person I do feel really sorry for in terms of not getting to play. Now, the rule, Joel, is if you win a Grand Slam, you have to qualify in the top 20 of the WTA or ATP race to make it through to um to the respective year-end finals. So Alina Rybakina qualified 21st yes. by 50, oh, that's unlucky. 50 points behind Ludmila Samsonova. And of course, Wimbledon not not awarding any points um, uh, for the Kazakh or for anybody that played Wimbledon this year, so she missed out by fifty points. Whereas if she if the points had have stood for Wimbledon, you add another two thousand to her, she qualifies in fourth spot. Unbelievably stiff. It is like <laughs> and and oh. the old adage: you don't have to be dead to be stiff. That is, um, <laughs> I, I think that that's where that comes from. Because yeah, and, and you look at what Novak Djokovic has done on the men's side. He's um he's qualified for the ATP finals, but he'll qualify inside the top. T- I think he's sitting at the moment. I've got it right in front of me here. He's eleventh or tenth currently, so he qualified anyway. But um, he, he um, yeah, really, really, really heartbreaking for Elena Rabakina, considering she won the biggest title of, of 
of her career and um and would be hoping to kick on next season. But yeah, so 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 disappointing from that front. But it will be. What what do you think of this tournament after the first matches a run and one? Now we've had, as I said before, Sabalenka Sakari win, mm. Garcia and Sviontek win. Are they the ones that you feel will get through? Because I thought with with the, with um, Sviontek's group, I thought that it would probably come down to her and Goff or Garcia. So in Tracy Austin, I I, I probably penciled in Coco. But whoever won out of that Garcia-Golf match was probably the one that gets through for me. And then seeing that Garcia's won that, I reckon she's probably the one that sits in pole position to finish second now. Yeah, I, I think from Tracy Austin, you can almost pencil in Eager is probably winning that group. Um, by far and away, the best player on, on the tour. And for, for the year, I think she'll uh, probably win the whole event. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, the second spot in that group is interesting. Um, you know, I, I've, it's probably a bit of a bit of a flip of the coin. I, I think, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking Caroline, uh, Caroline Garcia, just, just because she's won that first match. And, um, and also if you look at someone like Coco Goff, yes, obviously feels like she's been around for so long. Um, and that experience is building, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm just still thinking that maybe Coco still got a little bit of developing to do yeah. maybe. Yeah. Um, after coming back from that opening defeat. Um, and not to rule out Daria Kasakina as well. I think she's a chance, but um, yeah, I think maybe a little a little tough to come back from uh, from where she is now, um, particularly as the lowest ranked player in that group. So I think uh, Sviontek and Garcia probably get out of uh, that group. Um, as for Nancy Ritchie, I, I'm, I'm liking Arena Sabalenka as the group winner here. Yeah. Um, I think... Again, that opening win over Ons Jabour was so important for her, like astronomically important, especially coming back from a set down um, yeah. as well. So I'm thinking she'll top that group. And then I think third is probably out of uh, Jabour and Sakari. Yeah. Um, yeah, probably. Look, I, I, my, my heart hopes that it will be Ons that gets through because I, I really like her. I think everybody does. Um, yeah, everyone does. And, and, you know, she's had a had a great year and, and kind of come close a couple of times in, in some big events, but hasn't quite mm. uh, sort of sort of got the prize. So I think it'd be a nice story if she could pull it off. Um, yeah, I think it's a bit of a flip of the coin, that one. Um, I think the yeah, best I'm the like, best footage... Uh, oh, sorry, you go. Continue. <laughs> oh, no, that's all right. Yeah. I was just going to say I'm, uh, I'll am i go with Ons, but um, look, uh, Marie Sakari, very well placed at the moment. Yeah, no, I think... I reckon Sakari might get the job done here, but the best footage of this whole... This whole event has been on scaring her uh, counterparts for Halloween, dressing up with this skeleton mask and jumping up behind them while they were doing interviews. It was absolutely <laughs> priceless. Sviontek had absolutely no idea what was going on. She re- she sprinted away, and Garcia <laughs> swore at the camera. So it was it was really <laughs> bri- brilliant content that our good friend uh, Blair Henley was behind. But um, yeah, I, I think. Winner of the whole tournament, I think you're right. Sviontek has to go down as the favourite, but I just think these events can always throw something different out there. And well, they can, they can, yeah. How many times have we seen it on the ATP in the in the men's finals? Well, exactly. In the last five have have been yeah. com- well completely different. I don't think any member of the big three has won this event since 2015 when Djokovic won it. So it's um it, it's been a long time coming. We had Murray Dimitrov. 
uh, Zverev 2019 with Tsitsipas, 2020 Medvedev 21 um, was Zverev. So we we haven't seen a, one of the, you know, the big guns or the big three take out the title, but here is no different. And I think this was one that we saw Dominika Tsibulkova win back a few years ago, the biggest tournament of her career. Um, I reckon it's probably going to be someone like a Garcia. I, I really think she's primed to to possibly get the job done. If you had to pick one player that wasn't Sviontek, mm. who do you think? I know you've said, uh, are you leaning towards Sabalenka? Yeah, well, I, I think Sviontek's going to win. Um, yeah. But if not her, yeah, um, Sabalenka is the name that's standing out for me. Yep. All right. I'm going to go with uh, with Caroline. I'm gonna uh, just to throw it out there, just to be a little bit different. The WTA can be different at times, but Shviontek has looked unbeatable almost at times this season. But moving on, Joel to the ATP, and we've got the Paris Masters um, on at the moment, and we've seen some players really kick on towards the end of this season, and Felix Auger Aliassime is one of them. He's on a 14-match winning streak currently, Joel. He's won three titles in the last three weeks. He's won in Florence. He won in Vienna. And the second one, there was one in the middle somewhere, and I can't remember the name of the tournament that he played. (laughs) But he's won three in a row, playing some unbelievable tennis currently. And it's been so impressive. It was uh, in Florence. It was in Antwerp, that's right, and in, in, not Vienna, uh, in Basel. So, the way that he's going about his business, he's found his confidence, goes into Paris. There's one spot up for grabs for the ATP finals. He'd be the favorite to take it. But then you look at the other players that are in good form. Uh, Carlos Alcaraz has struggled since coming back from um, from the US Open. He's lost a few matches. Uh, Djokovic is in pretty good form himself. He's going to be playing the ATP finals. He's qualified. But then you look at guys like Holger Rune, who's come in, he's made three finals in the last four weeks and beat Stan Wawrinka from three match points down uh, this morning in Paris. So he's playing some really good tennis. And you've got Rafa, who's also there. He hasn't played since the US Open. He's been keeping things pretty pretty down or on the down low. So what do you see coming out of this tournament? Because Kasper Ruud really not in the greatest of form either. Daniel Medvedev fresh off winning in, uh, in Vienna last week. Um... Andre Rublev not in bad form himself. So, what do you think of the matchups here? Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting one. Um, I guess why don't we start with with Felix because yeah. um, again we did talk a bit about him off air and even just over text through the week, didn't we, Val? Mm. Um, he's he's had an interesting year, hasn't he? Because I remember if we think way back to the Australian Open, he actually had a pretty good AO as well. Um, pushed Daniel Medvedev all the way and just couldn't quite finish him off in the end. Um, and I guess probably been a little bit up and down since then. But, yeah, he's, he's really struck a groove um, yeah. again. So, uh, you know, I mean, he's got the game, if he puts it all together, um, and which he's clearly doing at the moment, to, to, to cause some damage in, you know, 1,000s and, and Grand Slams as well when um, the next one, which is, which is the Australian Open, comes around in... Uh, in, in January, but yeah, you're right. All the all the big names are here um, in in Paris, and yeah, look, um, I don't know. It's probably a bit difficult to say who I who I think is going to win this one. Um, look, I think you know, obviously, even though there's been some tribulations um, in the in the past year uh, for him, it's it's always hard to look look past Novak because yeah, we, I, we know yeah. what he's all about. 
So, and that's um, the thing. He is on a massive winning streak himself. He's been playing some good yeah. tennis, winning in Tel Aviv and winning in Astana. Um, in bizarre circumstances in Astana, going back to that semi against Daniel Medvedev, who was one good volley away from having match point in that second set. All of a sudden, he loses the set three points later and he retires. Um, the most bizarre match of tennis I've ever seen in my life. Um, but Djokovic is, is playing so well. And look, the rankings... A lot of the times they don't lie, but in this situation, considering he hasn't played in two of the Grand Slams this year, I'd probably, I would argue that he is still the best player in the world um, just because of what he's been able to do. But uh, look, I, I think he's the favourite. He's had a, he's got a good record in Paris. He holds pretty much every record at this tournament in terms of wins, in terms of matches won, um, in terms of events played, this is the 16th time he's actually going to this tournament, so equals Fernando Vadasco's record there. So I, I think in terms of that, it is hard to go past Novak. But you've got Daniel Medvedev, who has won this tournament before, back in 2020, fresh off his Vienna crown, and he's just had a daughter as well. So congratulations to Daniel Medvedev. And Rafa did just have a son, so maybe we could set the two yeah. of them up in 18 years' time, Joel, and uh, <laughs> and we could have a tennis super family on our hands. But um, oh. So Felix versus Daniil, that could be the quarterfinal there. Then Andre Rublev and Carlos Alcaraz in a hard-hitting one. You wouldn't want to be a tennis ball that day. Um, no. And then you look at Djokovic. His quarterfinal has Kasper Ruud, so you'd probably argue that Novak gets through that one. Tsitsipas uh, is the fifth seed and Rafael Nadal the second seed. So you'd probably say... Novak Rafa semi, um, con and considering Rafa hasn't beaten Djokovic on a hard court in a while, it's hard to go past Novak in terms of that matchup. But the top half of the draw is probably the one for me that is the most open because all of them are so evenly yeah. matched. And Medvedev and Auger Aliassim, I think that quarterfinal will be um, will be tantalising. Yeah, it will be. And yeah, as we said before, we got a bit of a taste of it um, earlier in the year, albeit across five. So. Mm. Yeah, that, that should be exciting. Um, yeah, who are you who are you thinking, Val, to to win this event and also to make the final? Because I'm I'm really struggling to pick it at the moment. Yeah, I think I don't know. Daniel Medvedev always seems to peak at this time of the year, so I think I reckon he might win the title um, and Novak Djokovic for the final. Um, I would like to see Rafa win it um, just to go into the year end finals with a little bit of oomph and. Um, and try and push for that number one ranking because that is still available for him, of course. Um, but yeah, I, I think it would be Medvedev-Djokovic final. I think they're the two best hardcourt players in the world. I think Alcaraz, his body might be pretty tired at the, at the moment, um, and, and that's the only yeah. that's the only thing that probably pushes me away from him a little bit. And the way that Felix dispatched him in um in Basel last week it was really convincing 6263 so it, it, he was he was unbelievable that day but some other uh, well before we get to the other storylines of this tournament Joel we'll get your picks I'm going to back in Felix actually Felix um, for 4 from 4 Yeah you know what I'm going to I'm going to back him I'm going to back him and I am going to say that he'll pinch one over and over back in the final All right well, if he does that, it'll be the first since Lendl to win four events in four weeks. So it would be a pretty astonishing effort if he could do it. And um, I think yeah. he joins um, Andy Murray and Novak Djokovic. And uh, Andy Murray, Djokovic, I think, no, Murray, Rude, and um, and himself. They're the only three that have done it in the last, I think, 10 years or so. So, yeah, really, it, it'll be unbelievable if he can pull it off. But some other storylines, Joel, 
Fabio Fonini took on Frenchman Arthur Fies and, well, Fies beat him in qualifying in the final round in three sets. Then Fonini got, a in, a, got in as a lucky loser. Guess who he played the first match? <laughs> Fabio. <laughs> yeah. So Fabio gets the job done and avenges his qualifying loss and he'll take on Grigor Dimitrov in the second round. And then Gilles Simon, Joel. Uh, his last tournament, and he had the entire French, uh, well, his, his former musketeers in uh, in Joe Wilfried Songa, Gael Monfils, uh, and Richard Gasquet all in the seat, um, all in the stands watching him, which was really nice to see, considering those four held the hopes of the French crowd for a very long time. And he came from a set down and beat Andy Murray in a typical Gilles Simon fashion, um, uh, that fighting spirit that we've so often seen for the last 15, 16 years, so impressive. He'll take on yeah. Taylor Fritz um, as he looks to keep his career going for just one more day, um, and he'll take it day by day at the time. But should he get through there, I dare say he will run into Felix Auger-Aliassime and the career will probably be over at that point. But you do never know. So some really good uh, storylines and good to see Gilles Simon at least win one last match in uh, in his home country to finish off his career. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I'll... I'll um... You know, I think we'll always remember Gilles Simon for that fighting spirit that he had, and he was just such a grinder. Um, and yeah, just a bit of a bit of a, I guess a uh, the way that I remember him. Um, I think it was two thousand and nine. Um, he'd been out for a while, and he, he came back to the AO. Um, first round played, uh, had the misfortune of playing Roger Federer, and um, yeah, I was uh, I was at that match, and Roger looked like he was cruising two sets to love up. Um, and then uh, all of a sudden, uh, Gilles Simon out of nowhere just comes back and wins the next two sets and forces it to five. Of course, in in the end, he, he ended up losing that match. But um, yeah, it was a uh, it was a fantastic match to be at, and uh, yeah, really for me, just kind of epitomised what he was all about. Yeah, no, certainly, and um, really, really exciting player to watch when he was on. He could, you know, he could dazzle the crowds, and really. Sad to see him go because it's another one from our childhood, Joel, that someone that yeah. we've grown up with is going. And we'll get to some more retirements later because there have been quite a few. But, um, Joel, some excitement uh, towards the end of this year and in January because the United Cup has been announced. And yes. this is a combined... So the ATP Cup has obviously been on our shores for 2020, 21 and 22. That's gone now. No more ATP Cup. Um, it was short-lived. It was good, but short-lived. So the United Cup will be like the ATP Cup, and it'll hold 18 countries um, in an event played over 11 days across Brisbane, Perth, and Sydney, and the tournament will have $15 million of prize money and ranking points on offer for both genders. But it'll, And as I said, it'll contest uh, consist of ATP players um, and w- two WTA players, I think. Um, it doesn't... It hasn't said what the actual um what the actual event will consist of but um so there'll be six groups of three countries in total two groups per city host city finals will be held in each city with the three winners advancing to the semis as well as the losing host city finalists with the best record from its three matches so the ties will be plays played across a day and an evening session the day sessions will comprise of a men's and women's singles Night sessions will feature both and a, and a mixed doubles match. The, the finals will be held in Sydney. So the semis and the final will be held in Sydney, uh, and that'll be the 6th to 8th of January. So I hope my explanation was okay then, because the reading certainly was not. Um, it's not made for radio. <laughs> 
No, certainly not. Um, but yeah, so it, it looks it looks really exciting, and it's something that we can see the players combine. We loved it at the Hotman Cup. Um, we love what that represented at times, and um, you know, it, it kind of without the ranking points, it did feel a bit irrelevant. And now, now we've got this wonderful tournament and this wonderful initiative where we're going to see the best players in the world team up from both genders. Um, and hopefully it dazzles the crowd all around Australia because um, the, the original ATP, the inaugural ATP Cup in 2020 did that um, and now include women in that. And I think we've we've got a winning recipe. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love this, Val. Um, yeah, as, as you said, like the ATP Cup, I think, was, was, was great at the beginning. And I think, unfortunately, the pandemic probably killed it. Uh, mm-hmm. Like it's... Uh, had some great momentum to start with, but um, it kind of just just fizzled out, um, especially when it all had to be hosted um, centrally in Melbourne. I think um, probably the fact that everything was in Melbourne kind of just diluted the value of of having it a bit. Um, yeah. So, and look, I, I love this concept. I think it really has a bit of extra value um, now that the women are going to get um, involved. Um, I, I just think there's there's something special about um, the the two tours. Uh, coming together and you know mixed doubles isn't something that we see a lot of particularly with you know the best players in the world um, teaming up from both the, the ATP and the WTA so yeah look I, I love it I'm, I'm really excited I'll be watching it and um, yeah I, I just I can't wait to see what it what it can deliver I think it's going to be a fantastic show to start the season I think so and then it, it allows the likes of Alex Demonor and Isla Tomjanovic to team up, Nick Kyrgios and Ala Tomjanovic might be a little more awkward considering they were an oh, item yeah. <laughs> at one stage. So, um, yeah, it might put those um, might put those ex tennis relationships to the test, depending on how yeah. many you of know those. What I, you know what I would love to see. I know it's not necessarily in Melbourne. Um, it'd be better if, if this particular uh, sort of marriage of tennis quality would be better in in Melbourne because of the demographics. But, geez, I I I just am frothing at. The, the thought of seeing Stefanos Tsitsipas and Maria Sakkari teamed up. I reckon that's mm. going to be fantastic. It will be. And, and the great community in Melbourne would absolutely love that. They might pair up for mixed doubles at the AO. You never know. But I doubt it with both of them heavily focused on the men's and women's singles. But yeah. you never know. We can dream. But even um, I would love to see Luke Saville and Daria Saville play. But unfortunately, Daria with an ACL injury. So she'll be out for the next few months, at least probably until June next year, which is really disappointing considering she's got herself nearly back inside the top 50 in the WTA. But really looking forward to this event. And hopefully we can um, we can see some exciting tennis because um, the Hotman Cup, was was dearly loved and I think a lot of tennis fans do miss it because it was just a summer staple. Like the Kuyong Classic doesn't mean anything, but it's still yeah. a summer staple and it's just extra tennis that you can be watching. So looking forward to the United Cup. But Joel, I mentioned Gilles Simon retiring. We've got Feliciano Lopez retiring as well, one of our favourites, the stud of tennis pretty much. Um, Lopez. Um, and... Well, we've had two pretty big ones since, um, well, I think we discussed Serena on our last show because we did it just after the US Open. Is she retired or isn't she? I'm so confused. (sighs) Joel, Joel, Joel. I'm not going to say too much. I did did write an article on this for the first serve for our good friend BP and the self-indulgence just continues, doesn't it, with Serena? Um, You know, she she's been a great of this sport. She really has. She's been unbelievable. What she's what she's achieved. Twenty three major titles. She's won the Olympics. She's won an abundance of events. 
Like, she's won pretty much everything there ha- there is to win on a tennis court. A Fed Cup, now the Billie Jean King Cup, everything. But just, I'm I'm really sick of everyone. And in in the media, Joel, what is our job? To scrutinise, not to to tell the truth. Well, yeah, and that well, to yep. call to call it as we see it to make people think exactly. But how has Serena gotten away with so many members of the media ignoring some of her actions? <laughs> it's a good point. How? how? Yeah. Because in in a sport where it is just you out there. The spotlight is just on you. She's threatened to throw, shove a ball down a lineswoman's throat. She essentially tried to get out of a che- of a cheating penalty by saying she was a mother, and then used the plight of the woman as an excuse, saying that you know she's standing up for women's rights. Patrick Moritoglu admitted he was coaching you, love. I'm sorry. <laughs> Then at Wimbledon this year, I read a story that she was supposed to go to this um, 100 Years of Centre Court um, Champions um, champions Parade and the little ceremony that they had, which Rafa went to, Novak went to, even Federer flew in for, Bjorn Borg flew in. Um, so many of these former greats of the game flew in for this, um, for this ceremony. Serena was in London, lost in the first round wanted five hire cars to get her to the All England Club. Okay, they said yes, no problems, but you have to give them back the next day. You're out of the tournament. Apparently, she wanted them for longer than the next day, and they said no because you're out. She didn't go to the ceremony. Are you kidding me? Mm. Are you kidding me? Then you get the US Open, her on-court interviews, just so completely self-indulgent. And then you have Rafa after his win over Fabio Fonini talking about how well Fabio Fonini played. True humility. Then you get Roger Federer's retirement, which we'll talk about now. He he said, six days out, I'm retiring next weekend, ATP Cup. Social media note, everyone cried. It was a terrible time. Um, <laughs> but he said he would retire, and he's retired. He said, there's no chance of me coming back. I'll play exhibition matches. Yeah, fine. That's no problems, but I'm not coming back to the tour. He's done. He said he would retire. He has. Now Serena's come out and said she's not retired. What do you mean you're not retired? Just make up your mind, please, and quit with the self-indulgence and just choose. If you don't want to retire, don't retire, but stop making it all about you, Serena, because it certainly isn't. Detracting from the sport, and it's not good. Now let's get to Roger Joel because how devastating was that? Uh, yeah, I think it really kind of hit home um, as as a Roger fan um, uh, <laughs> when he was um, when he was being interviewed uh, after that doubles match with um, with Rafa um, and and not, not necessarily like we, we've we've all seen Roger Federer cry right like mm. it's you know um, yeah it's as as common as sites get like it's more common than the rain um not in melbourne at um, the moment joe <laughs> that's, that's true um yeah but um i think it, it really hit home um seeing rafa cry like that was that was just and, that was something else um, i know 
and, and and like you know what it was just it was just a really great moment like one of the one of the greatest things i think about the Roger Federer era and the fact that we grew up with it was the fact that we were able to witness Vidal in in its prime and and Rafa obviously Rafa hasn't retired yet he's he's still going um but he was he was such a massive part of that um and yeah it was just such a fitting ending i think um, and just, just just see those guys share a moment, um, and and then you've you know you've got some of um, some of the younger guys on on the tour as well that that were there. Um, you know, obviously Jack Sock's been around for a while, but um, you know, like I think Francis Tiafo was yeah, there, I'm pretty Tiafo sure. Tiafo played um, in the match. Taylor yeah, Fritz. Yeah, so yeah, it was just sort of a great coming together of sort of the old and the well. The, the the kind of new, mm. um, I guess those guys aren't so new anymore. But like, you know what I mean, the younger generation. Yeah. So yeah, really really fitting uh, farewell, and um, yeah, obviously ecstatic that Roger could go out in that way. Yeah, it was for me. It was really hard to watch. Um, not to mention the fact that Stan Sport um, dropped out in the second set tiebreak, which was possibly the last match which was possibly the last tiebreak of Roger Federer's career which was disappointing but um it was disappointing they lost but um I, I just think yeah the fact that everyone was there to honor Federer it was at an event that he created Rod Laver was in attendance as well I think and um seeing him with Rafa and and you're right Rafa especially I think the both of them holding hands on the bench crying is an image that will last the test of time because in what other sport are such great rivals, such good friends and so emotional when one retires. And he said that Federer is one of the biggest parts of his career. And a part of me lives, leaves tennis with him because Rafa and Roger were, and still in my opinion, are the greatest rivalry in tennis because of the contrast and the sheer, the, the difference in their games, but also the friendship off the court. And there's the videos of them um, trying to get that charity video done when they just couldn't stop laughing. There was the exhibition events in (laughs) Africa. Um, You know, there's been so much that those two have shared and the battle of the surfaces back in 2007, when who would have thought they'd play on a court that was half grass, half clay um, in the middle of a velodrome in Spain. So yeah, yeah, just, what what those two have done for tennis, I think, is unparalleled. And uh, I think, yeah, you see the emotion between them. And, um, yeah, I, I think – and seeing Roger go as someone that's followed him for a very long time and, um, you know, has ridden the highs and the lows with him from the television or from the couch at home. Um, yeah, he's – yeah, he, he's done so much for tennis and um, the sport will be – very, very poor for not having him, but I'm sure that uh, that he'll be playing some exhibitions around and um, and uh, and and doing some commentary because he said that might be an option. So that'd be very interesting to see if he uh, if he does that at Wimbledon at all or um, or anywhere else around the world. But Uniqlo has released uh, his final matchwear, so I bought some of that and um and, li- <laughs> and <laughs> of course I did. Uh, and life is good, but yeah, it, it, disappointing to see Federer go. But um, yeah, what a, what a career! What what the number one memory for you? Joel? Um, yeah, geez. I mean, it, look, it's very much on brand for, for what we've just been talking about. Um, but look, I seriously, I, I can't look past the 2017 Australian mm. Open final. Just yeah. what, what a night. I mean, that was just, 
like not not just not just the, the win and like the, the way kind of Roger reinvigorated himself um, when we thought he would never get to that point again. Just the fact that again Rafa was there too, um, and it was just it was just vintage. Like the, those guys were just hammering it out for three and a half hours or however long it was. Fantastic night of tennis, ebbed and flowed. Um, just just fantastic. One of the, probably my my favorite tennis memory, honestly. Um, in the last sort of twenty seven years that I've been alive. <laughs> yeah, uh, mine too. That it had to be. It had to be that night. And the, and look, the 08 Wimbledon final will be etched in their in their rivalry forever as well as one of the greatest matches ever played. Just the sheer yeah. drama, the weather, um, everything that happened that night uh, or that up. Well, I guess yeah, it finished at night in London. It was very very late here. Finished at uh, I think six a.m. Melbourne time, but. Um, that 2017 night to be there in the crowd and actually witness it live and firsthand was was so special um, because both of them were playing so well. They were belting the ball at each other and there was that rally at 4-3 juice when Rafa was serving yeah. on Federer's way to break breaking and they just exchanged cat and mouse for the whole rally and Rafa's clubbed a cross-court backhand to Federer's forehand, and he slapped the winner down the line. And Mark Petchy summed it up. I will never, ever forget that rally. Yeah. And it will <laughs> stand a, the test of time. Yeah. It will stand the test of time. So, yeah, very sad to see Roger Federer go, but he's left uh, light, or he's left memories that will last a lifetime. So we thank you for that, Roger. And um, one day we will get you on the show. It will happen. I, I, I mark my words, we will get him one day. Um, and not just Elliot Loney impersonating him. Don't you worry. We will get Ro- we will get Roger Federer. Um, but, Joel, it is now time for one of our favourite segments of the week, the Benoit of the week. And we will – the Benoit of the last three months, I guess. We haven't done a show in a while. So um, who, who are we giving it to this time? Uh, yeah, so we're going to give it to um, crazy abusive tennis dad. Um, so was... a lot of people would have seen the, the video circulating on on social media. Um, very very unpleasant. Um, yeah, a uh, clearly um, it was a, a father uh, get really getting physical with um, son on. It was an ITF junior event, wasn't it? Um, yeah, just uh, look. We understand that tennis means a lot to a lot of people and, you know, certainly you want your children to do well in, in their endeavours, but there's just no place for that. doesn't matter what the what the level is, whether it's, um, you know, the, the highest parts of the ATP or the, the WTA or a junior event or Tuesday night or, you know, yeah. Saturday morning juniors. There's just absolutely no place for it, um, nah. especially with, with the juniors and with kids. Um, it's just tennis. It's just a sport. They're kids. Mm. And it, it was go. it was unnecessarily aggressive. Oh, it was it, sick. It was sickening. It was hard. I had to stop watching after about 15 seconds because it was it, – it just – yeah, it escalated so quickly and – yeah, I, I I hope he's banned for life from any tennis court. Um, oh, it has and, to be. There is no, no excuse for that. And in this no day excuse. and age where it is so prevalent, we talk about tennis parents being so hard on their children and, you know, Yelena Dokic is one with yeah. her story. You can't be acting like that. You just cannot be acting like that. It doesn't matter how you feel about your child. Um, and if you love them, you're doing it out of love. You can't do that out of love. 
That's not right. That's disgusting. That's not that's no, that's abuse. sickening is what it is. Um, so, yeah, I hope he's banned for life and I hope he never gets to see uh, a tennis court in person ever again because it just was it was awful on every level. So a um, bit of a sour note to end the show on, I guess. But, um, yeah, no, it had to be said. And, Joel, thank you very much for, for jumping on the show tonight. We've had a lot to talk about and we'll come back in a couple of weeks. I'm back in Brisbane for work next week. So um, probably give that one a miss because I'll be working till 11 o'clock every night. But, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll catch you in a couple of weeks. We'll review Paris. We'll review the WTA finals. Chat about the ATP finals, which uh, that final spot is still well and truly up for grabs. And uh, thanks again, mate. No worries, mate. Good to see you. And, uh, yeah, we'll do it all again in a couple of weeks and uh, chat your own finals. We certainly will. This has been Val Febo and Joel Frucci on Breakpoint Podcast. Remember, follow us on social media at Breakpoint Pod uh, on Twitter, Breakpoint Podcast on Facebook and Instagram as well. And you can subscribe on uh, Spotify, Apple, Google, Anchor, wherever you get your podcasts from. We are there. We'll catch you after Fort Worth and we'll also catch you after Paris and the Next Gen Finals where we'll talk about all things Turin. Can't wait for it. Catch you then.